Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 19, Episode 5, just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday here in the UK. And up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, listener. And on a packed show tonight, we have quite a bit of Antipodean content, both actual and Antipodean uh, of Antipodean interest. Tell us more. Uh, we have a driver from the Antipodes. He'll be our big interview. Uh, so that's uh, in the second half of the show. Uh, it's Matty Campbell. It's Matty Campbell. I'm going to say it's Matty Campbell. We've got him on the line. I mean, I was going to try to keep it a surprise, but actually that's not necessarily... Uh, a good thing because we said last week that we'd have him on this week. That's a fair uh, point. We must have got yeah. Richard Crail on the show. He's going to be at the start of the show, not because uh, uh, he's got the most important news story of the week, but because he's got a plane to catch and he can't stay any longer. No, well, that's fine. It's very early in the morning where Rich is. This is all part of our uh, special 2024 extended coverage of the Repco Bathurst. 12 hours. This is our early coverage with Ned Australian Whiskey. And uh, you'll be having plenty more of that next week when we come live from the press room at Bathurst. It'll be Rich and myself. There'll be no one else there. I pretty much (laughs) confirm that. Um, And also, we're already, we've already been chatting about how we're going to revive the full pit lane walk as well as part of our Ned Australian Whiskey early coverage of Bathurst 12 hours this year. Um, there's a lot. There's going to be a lot. Uh, and on the show tonight as well, Tim, we have um, not just Australians talking about Bathurst. Uh, we've also got a Frenchman talking about Bathurst uh, as well, very briefly, because uh, you bumped into a Frenchman when you went today uh, to the launch of the Upper Rissington Bypass and also that link road around Dusseldorf Airport. Yeah, that was uh, the A524. And uh, the A424. And the four, I actually did go on the 424 to get... To, I was early, so I diverted and came down from store. So I could say that I went on the 424 to the launch of the 424, which, you know, it means nothing to anybody else who listens to this programme. Thanks very much to Alpine UK, and particularly to Jim and Kate and everybody else who was there for making us welcome. Um, um, we had a great time. We were going to put we're going to put some of the content in tonight. Uh, we've got a little bit of Philip Signor tonight, the man at the head of the car, who is just brilliant. And if you haven't seen the pictures of the car, go and look it up because it looks absolutely beautiful. It's a very clever design of the rear lights. Um, but we got so much content because it was so well organised 
that we've actually got a, a full show tomorrow night. More details of that uh, in the show this evening. Um, have I got time to do a Hang little on. bit of... Hang on, I haven't told you what else is in the show tonight because right, we are, on. of course, joined uh, by Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent. Uh, even though it's been, apart from the couple of car launches, it's been a pretty quiet week in Formula One. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what we'll talk about, but... Um, Nick Damon will be here. Uh, we're also going to hear from uh, Bruno Famine and uh, James Vowles as well. Oh, right. Actually, oh, OK, very good. Um, uh, Nick actually is in Cartagena at the moment. He's been riding his motorcycle again. Um, are we going to play Top Story for Creelsy? I, I think we should give him no. a jingle, but we're not. Right, well, I'll... T- not oh, that jingle. Okay. okay. Oh, you've got something else. Uh, hello to Entropy Nebula, who says, looking forward to Nick's hot takes on the sensational news that Carlos Sainz is leaving Ferrari at the end of 2024. Uh, hello to Jesse. Hello from not so, southern, uh, not so sunny uh, Southern California. Um, hello to Jean Chauvet. Hello, JJ. It's good to know you're listening in tonight. Uh, James O'Donnell. Sarah Rigby tuning in live whilst ironing this evening. Uh, and... Hello to Yoda's uncle um, and to Josh Smith uh, and to Carol Brink. Hello. Um, and to Moni Elysium, who's tuned in from the Cube. Um, do we stack soap boxes in, the, in order to uh, in order an entire crate for the week? Says hello, Filipponi. Yeah, very good. Uh, Tom Marshallek says, I'll be listening from work and then the Mustang on a 50-degree Fahrenheit day in northeastern Ohio. Nice. I love Lewis tuned in tonight. That's Josh Smith. Uh, Cooper, Hoff- uh, Cooper Hoffman, uh, back from working on the rescue trucks at our region's race driver school this past weekend. Looking forward to the latest news, gossip, opinions. Otter. Otter is back. Um, not listening tonight, though, after studying hash protocols. See up. Nick and I study hash browns. Wondering if Mercedes are not ha- having an LMH program played a part in Lewis's d- decision process. Um, no, because he's not interested in driving anything other than Formula One. He'll never, I, I don't think he'll ever drive a sports car, but there you go. Uh, Edward in Creations, hello down under. Listening live from tomorrow. Uh, AFA's next week, as I'll be 100 metres from the Bathurst 12 hours booth in the paddock campground, but won't have Wi Fi. So if anyone in the campground has Wi-Fi, please let me know and I'll bring bacon and eggs. Seems like a good trait. Sean Crockett is looking forward to hearing Nick, uh, uh, how he thinks the Hamilton move um, will go and if it will end in tears. Alex Orchard, no affairs this evening. Very positive two-day business trip. That'll be secret stuff again. Hello, Dave Monks, listening in the car in Slovakia. Secrets, more secrets car stuff. Dave, secret squirrel. And you still never got me my Rolls-Royce drive before you left, which I'm never going to I'm never gonna forgive you for. No, I will, of course. Uh, Chris Suku and Brody uh, and uh, everyone else who's listening in tonight at Specutainment, please, if you'd like to get in touch with us. If we can't have our top story there, Jingle, let's have another jingle for Creelsy, who will join us in a mere moment of time. Oh, we don't have any alternative uh, jingle for him, no. Oh, so do we just have to say... Good day, and he arrives. Say good day, good day. There, <laughs> Creelsy. Good morning to you. How are you, fella? 
two things. One, uh, you've got an Australian booze company as a sponsor, which I'm delighted about. And mm-hmm. we always considered you, JH, as an honorary Aussie. I think you. it's been a Thank decade you. that you've been coming down mm-hmm. part of this world. But I think being sponsored by an Australian liquor company makes that official. So yeah. congratulations, Thank because you, it man. is part of the the process here. And did just see that... Uh, well, yeah, the, um, someone's willing to trade free Wi-Fi for bacon and eggs this yep. time next week. I love when it. We do midweek motorsport live from the circuit. I will provide that person with the Media Centre Wi-Fi right. password for bacon and eggs. No problems whatsoever. Okay. They can come in and listen from the Media Centre if they want. Oh, that's, a, what? that's not a bad idea. Do it with a studio audience. Them? There's, not, there's yeah, no one else absolutely. there at that time in the morning. No. Oh, I have the key, so we have that power. So why that not? sounds brilliant. Uh, right, well, Edwardian Creations will bring the whiskey tumblers as well, which are handmade. Um, so, okay, the, the, there you go. And actually, before we kick off anything else talking about Bathurst and the Repco 12 hours, um, we should say that our our favourite Bathurst brewery, um, and that is not damning them with faint prayers, actually, because there's quite a lot of brewing goes on down there, um, is, is going to be part of the race as well this year. So you and I, um, responsibly, yes. of course, but we Always. drank there last year. Yeah, we did. Right. And and Jared, who was one of the three co-owners of Reckless Brewing. Brilliant books. Um, Brilliant books. I, I think... I think you and he became friends in, I'm going to say 15 seconds, but I think it might have been 14. Um, well, it was when he offered me, a... it was when he offered me, a, a, and you know how little beer I drink because of carbs, right? Mm. So mm. he offers me a freshly brewed can without the top on as it's going down the canning line. And I, you can't, listen, you can't get any fresher than that. And I thought it's hard not to fall in love with someone when that they give you an open <laughs> can of beer that's literally just come off the canning line. I Correct. I agree with you. I agree with you. So after the race last year, um, midway through the year, I bumped into Jared at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park at the Supercars Round, um, the night race they have there in the, the Sydney Circuit, and he does some business with Walkinshaw Andretti United as one yeah. of their team sponsors. I said, Jared, we don't have an official beer for the Bathurst 12 hour and you need to have that official beer. We've got the rooftop bar. We've got all sorts of stuff going on at the mountain. It's usually quite hot. So it's a nice way to refresh yourself. And uh, so we connected him with Shane Rudzis who puts all the event together and um, more magic has been made. So it's really cool to have, and, and in all seriousness to have a Bathurst business within the city of Bathurst, that's about 1.4 yes. kilometers from the circuit it's a really special thing for a, an international motor race. So, yeah, official beer is a, a the, literally the beer of Bathurst is the beer of Bathurst, which so, is so really it's, cool. So it's not just a naming thing. They are going to provide no. some brews as well. They have been oh, brewing God. almost every day to make sure they've got enough stock <laughs> for the circuit. They have sponsored cans, teams before with responsible drinking in mind, and mm. I've seen the team come up and take a couple of slabs back for the mechanics who were working overnight. In fact, that happened last year whilst we were down the, I think the Friday evening, if I remember uh, yep. rightly. So that's, okay, so that's great because that's just another example of Bathurst and the community rallying around the race, as the local council does and, and as most of the businesses do as well, to be quite honest. Yeah, I know if you're in the UK or in the US at the moment and you think, well, hang on, a local council and local residents who get behind the race... I know it's an alien concept. That's why you need to get on a plane and go to Bathurst because it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. What else is the same and what's changed? Um, right, 30 cars this year, Krilzy? 
Uh, we've grown 32. Ooh. It will be. There's right. still there's one that's uh, been a, a last minute addition to one of the classes, which is good. So that will add a little bit of depth to one of the categories. So that gets announced in a couple of days. So uh, 32 cars is great. Um, there's still um, I don't want to say recovery because I don't think that's the right word, but we're still rebuilding. I think from the last couple of years, and the um, it, it sounds like a, a cop out and an excuse, but unfortunately it's not is that the the shipping stuff that's going on uh, in the world is still affecting us so if it's not a pandemic it's um people throwing things at each other in the middle east which is really unfortunate and for example we lost um garage 59 we're planning to bring their pair of mclarens which was a shame because the last time we had a racing mclaren team at the race in 2020 they were very very good and almost won um finished second that year Alvaro Parent, one of the drivers so that was a shame, but um, the field that we've got is outstanding, and I think it's back to the competitive depth that we had in 2020, the last of the pre-COVID 12 hours, in terms of there are, I think we're up to 13 pro cars, but then when you throw in the pro-am cars with a couple of professional drivers aboard each of them, um, you know, there's there's 18 or 19 GT3 cars that could theoretically end up somewhere near the pointy end in qualifying and then as we've seen in that race you can win the 12 hour with a pro-am driving combination so um kenny habul won the race outright mm. last year with uh, with that man jules gunon who we'll hear from later so um it's a really good field it's a high quality field I, th- I think it's going to be an outstanding car race and last year's race was terrific with 21 cars so we're at, at another um 10 or so to that i think it's going to be a good show um you mentioned the man, Jules Gunon. Um, there's a couple of records that could go, and we'll hear from Tim. Uh, oh, Tim's got the the the, the sound. So I, t- I tell you what, we'll talk about the records in a minute. I caught up with Jules today. Uh, rather surprising in, in some people's minds, he he's been named as the reserve driver for the Alpine um, hypercar project. More about that on the program tomorrow at, at nine o'clock. Um, uh, because on the grid hasn't restarted yet, so we're not pushing Crailsey out of the way. Um, and uh, I, so I, I asked Gilles about Bathurst. Um, big smile on his face as he answered this. And I said to him, look, you go there with an AMG product that you know, with teammates that you know. Do you go there confidently? And this was his answer, which is very interesting indeed. Well, for me in Bathurst, you cannot arrive confident. Uh, I have so much respect for the mountain that when I arrive there, I always try to be very humble. I Every night when we sleep on Kenny House in the, in the middle of the track with Luca, we always say a small word to the mountain as yeah. superstitious. But for me, this place, and you know it, every time you go, there's something about this place. There is so much emotion. It feels like even the mountain has a soul. And when you drive it there... The last three years has been amazing for me with three wins. And uh, every time there was something about it. The first year with Bentley, I had a puncture when we were about to win. The second year, uh, the conditions were really tricky with a drying track and so mm. on. And the last year with the contact of Maro, the race could have been done also. Yeah. And doing the double stint on all tires, we could have got puncture. It was a crazy race. And I don't know why, but I'm sure you agree. When you arrive there, there's something special about this place. And every year, I'm, when I'm looking at my clock and I know it's around the 10th of February, I'm like, oh, Batters is calling. So we will do like every year, come with humbleness, come to thanks the mountain, keep us safe and uh, try to do our best and see where we end up. 
and at the end of 12 hours the mountain decides so sometimes we don't have anything to do with it exactly <laughs> I, I will still also remember in my first win in 2020 the Bentley was struggling a lot on the wet and when I was driving and we had a small lead of 8 seconds I think on Marcello there was a lot of thunderstorm all around the track and I was praying when I was driving like please no rain no rain no rain and without joke I crossed the line and it was pouring rain and I was like oh my god the mountain maybe hear me and help me because it was insane so that's why this place is so symbolic to me and uh, so special in, in my heart Gilles Guinan good luck for everything you do this year we'll see you at Mount Panorama in a few days time yes uh, Gilles on there talked to me earlier on this afternoon at the Alpine at 4.24 and 5.24 launch um the mountain decides, Creelsey, where you and I have said that quite a lot. He believes that, and, and the guys believe it. They're on the verge of something very, very special if they can do a four-time win for their manufacturer. See a smile on my face hearing that, and it's not the first time I've heard Jules talk about... He gets it, doesn't he? The man. He so does. Um, I, I think... Uh, irrespective of, of the fact that he's won it three times, his achievements at that place, the way he's won, and he mentioned the Bentley, um, that drive, uh, the, he does not have anything other than ice in his veins, <laughs> that bloke, because all three of his Bathurst wins have come under enormous pressure. So he mentioned the Bentley. What he didn't mention was that it had a puncture, a right rear puncture, at the fastest point of Conrod Strait, just before the chase, um, and completely unflappable, did not even raise a sweat, peeled into pit lane, new tie went on, away he goes. Um, 2022, um, he spent about three and a half hours, 10 seconds apart from Maro Engel, um, in a really intense battle for the lead at the end, and didn't blink. And then last year, not only had Maro Engel throwing himself at him, then had Matty Campbell throwing himself at him and the fences mm -hmm. to try and get the Porsche passed, and didn't blink either. So... I genuinely believe he's the best international driver potentially that's raced at Mount Panorama. Mm. I, I think he's what he's achieved at that place is like nothing that anyone else who's come from overseas to race there has done and has achieved. And you mentioned the record, so there, there's lots of them. So he's won it three times in a row. No one's done that from a driving point of view. He could win it four times <laughs> in a row. And there's only the very elite household names of Aussie touring car racing that have won a Bathurst Enduro four times in a row. But you tie it in with Mercedes AMG, who are looking to win it for a third straight time. And that's only ever happened once by Mazda Master. with the RX-7 way back in the 1990s. So there's all sorts of records that he could break to get there. And um, there's no reason to believe why Kenny's car won't be in the mix in that final hour because they're, they're going about that same strategy. So for th those might be wondering how in a pro race, a pro am driver combination can win. We called it the Kenny rule last year. And it was something that our colleague Garth Tander and I mm -hmm. sort of picked out of the, the rule book while we were going through it before the race was that in the professional class, you can run a bronze ranked driver in the yep. outright category um, which on paper looks like a handicap against, you know, driving combinations with three factory Europeans or three supercars drivers or a combination of the two. But there's no minimum driver time requirement Correct. for that bronze driver. So they become something of a, a sacrificial lamb. And in 
2022, Kenny Habul drove about 50, I think it was 53 or 54 minutes. Last year, he did a little over an, of an hour. But what it allows you to do is spend the rest of the day with your pro drivers yep. just doing their thing. So the Kenny rule, they exploited it. Um, there will be another pro combination that does that this year. They haven't been announced yet. That that mm. news should be out later today, Australian time. Okay. Um, it'll be a pretty spicy combination, but um, oh come on, you yeah, can tell, come on, you great. can tell us. Oh, yeah, no one listens to Midweek Motorsport. I know it's such a tiny audience. No one around the world tuning in. No, no, that that news will come. I need to keep some stuff under my hat. All right, okay. Um, the rest of the field looks brilliant. Um, actually, I could have talked to Jules about. Bathurst for a very long time. His story, actually, about the whole Alpine thing, you'll hear it tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. Um, in what would be the on-the-grid spot, I'll come back to that in a sec, um, he loves Bathurst. It, it is his, uh, Amazingly, I, I had a chat with him and I said, Bathurst or the Nürburgring? And he said, I think Bathurst. He's never won the Nürburgring. Wow. And, he's, and he's, going, he's going for the Nürburgring really hard this year with AMG. Um, I mean, so many stories. And we'll pick them all up next week as part of our extended Ned Australian whiskey coverage of the uh, Repco Bathurst 12 hours. Krelzy, got to ask you before you go, mate, because I know you're off down to the Melbourne this weekend, aren't you, for mm. a bit of racing. Um, when's, when's on the grid back? I'm, I'm, I'm sick of answering X's or tweets or whatever we we'll call them today. When's it back? No, we'll, we'll, very soon. Very soon. <laughs> Big plans for the show this year. Ooh. Lots going on. There's, it's not like there's anything to talk about in Australian motorsport at the moment either because there's <laughs> things either blowing up or imploding, whichever way you Supercar license. Can I just throw that one in? I've just pulled the pin and thrown it and ran away. Yeah, well, who'd want to win the Supercast Championship at the moment? Because it turns out if you do, you disappear the next year. But at the moment, it's, <laughs> oh, it's a crazy, crazy world. It's funny that, that as as you would know and, and listeners of the show would know, that Supercast dominates the, the motorsport news landscape. But there was a bit of relief when old mate Lewis decided he'd like to leave uh, Mercedes and go to Ferrari because that bumped actually bumped supercars off the front cover for a couple of days when everyone needed a little respite from the dramas that's going in with Brody Kostecki, the champion, not being on the grid, oh. uh, at least at the first round, which is the week after the... And the there, was, there, was a, um, there was an open letter from Supercars Chief today to say, look, you've got to let, let this play out and we shouldn't be interfering in it because it's not what we should do. Now, you can like that or not like that, but sometimes what the public is interested in is not necessarily in the public interest. And I understand mm. I understand that. That one will play out as it plays out. I, I think the, um, uh, Betty's lost a, a sponsor as well. I've got a lot of time for Betty Clemenko, but I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And I suggest that very few people do, Creelsey, to be honest. No, and we should remember Erebus were a GT team yeah, exactly. first yes. before they were a supercars team. And they won the Bathurst 12 hour the year they entered supercars. So they won the 12 hour in 2013. Remember that great race? Oh. Um, Bern Schneider was, was part of it. The apocalypse we had at the end. We had <laughs> Shane Van Gisbergen passing cars at Reed Park on slick tyres in a Porsche at what must have been 40 kilometres an hour, the slowest overtake in Bathurst history. Um, wind rain there were gazebos flying over the circuit all sorts of stuff it was an insane race but that was that was the making of Erebus Motorsport and and what they've built out of running those um, SLS AMGs as they were at the time is now a hugely successful race team that races in the main game of supercars 
in the development series of supercars, still has some fingers in other pies in GT racing. In fact, it was only announced earlier this month before all the Brody stuff happened that Erebus will be involved with one of the um, Pro-Am class Mercedes AMG. So they're going to provide some technical support and some operational support. And Jack LeBrock, who is their full-time driver, will drive. So... um, they're still involved in GT racing. So I think it's important to remember that that team has great roots that, that sort of started at the Bathurst 12 hour. Ah, oh, crazy. I can't wait. I'll see you next week, mate. Um, we've all, Edwardian creations has already said, I'll bring the barbie up. I'll do bacon and eggs for everybody. If we do a live <laughs> show, <laughs> I'll have to check with the council if we're allowed, but <laughs> I'm all for that. Can we move the show to the, paddock campground could we do it from the campground how how much internet can we get because literally oh, I'm sure I, we'll, we'll, we'll find out we'll find out on wednesday and we'll 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 work it out if we've got because my new bit of kit um gives me a little mixing desk into my computer and if my computer can can get um the internet and a bit of power power's never a problem we'll find power banks um are we can, on the, we could do oh, it. Oh, you, you know the story the about uh, when uh, Johnny Palmer and me went to Bathurst and uh, found some power just hanging out of a tree. No, that was a that was a drop bear, was it not? No, I was, wa- I was waiting for the punchline, Tim. It was literally a four-way adapter. Great, <laughs> hanging out. Like, power does grow on trees in Australia. Most literally things did. Do. Um, had this, by the way. I, I'm going to tell you this. By the way, Krillzy, before I let you go... Cause that was at the top of the mountain, of course. I don't know what it's like at the bottom. James O'Donnell has said, that's it. James O'Donnell, who um, is a, a long-time follower of this, of this show, says, that's it. Um, I love the circuit, Bathurst. I love the race, Bathurst. I love your coverage. But that combined with beer brewed for the race, I mean... Mm. I'm booking to go at the 12 hours what, next year. So there you go, mate. What more of a selling point do you need? And see, the thing with that is, James, is that we can make a personal intro. You will, you will meet <laughs> the brewer. Exactly. We, we'll get you out the back of Reckless Brewing, and you can probably get a can off the production line while they're making it like like we did last year. Mm. So that's the joy of Mount Panorama is that it's not a massive town, so of Bathurst. So we can uh, we can make these introductions. Please come, James. We'd love to have you there, and we will... We will make sure you get some beer from Reckless Brewing. Uh, Krelsey, thanks for joining us. I know you've been up early for Pleasure. this one. Um, Matty Campbell in the second half of the programme. If we uh, He's up in Brisbane at the moment before he travels uh, down to Bathurst. Krelsey, travel well. Have a good weekend this weekend in Melbourne. I'll see you next week, mate. We will. Can't wait. Going to be huge. Cheers, mate. Richard Krell joining us live from Australia in the morning. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, yes, yes, you're right. I don't get time zones either. Um, brilliant stuff uh, from him and from Jules Goonon. And where would you like to go to next in our globe trotting? Oh, oh, this is Crown Court on Midweek Motorsport. I think it's time to uh, bring in uh, Nick Damon. Uh, life in Nick Cafahina. Damon is on a different. He's uh, in in. He's doing um, some preseason in testing. In, in in preseason testing, and in honour of the fact he's not in his usual sport, he's on a different fader. So I've oh, got how exciting. Oh yes, you are very excited. You're you're on my far right um, incoming 
outside source. I've always though. thought that's about Nick. No, me too. Um, I'm certainly not on the far right, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what are, we, what are we talking to Nick about then with this Crown Court music going on? We're talking about a court case, of course. Yes. Exciting. And this uh, court case is from the District Court of Amsterdam. Oh. Right. The overselling of tulips. Uh, it's not. Now, which, uh, which motorsport personality do we think we're talking about here? Is, uh, is it, it Mr. Mr. Jumbo? No. Oh, Verstappen? Is it a Verstappen? No, it's not a Verstappen. Verstappen. It's not a Verstappen. Coronel? No. Oh. Um, then I don't know. Do I? This is a uh, WEC story. Oh, well, that's confused me. Uh, oh, it's Nick DeVries, isn't it? It's yes, Nick DeVries, another story. Yes. Oh, oh, Nick yeah. DeVries, yes. Oh, yes, yes. This is a very interesting story, isn't it? Yes. He lost after winning. Because... A year Very ago, good. a year ago, we covered his court victory. Yes, um, and now, he now he's lost and has to pay two hundred and fifty thousand euros and a significant portion of his Formula One earnings to the Dutch investment company Investrand. So this, this is about people who invested in his early career, which which wasn't unusual back in those days. There was a few people do it. The um, Justin Wilson um, sadly lost to us. Um, basically, I was going to say it was a form Sold of investment. Himself, for yes, yes, yeah, so it was a form of Sold investment. The shares. Yeah, and and then people would get the benefit later on uh, through his career when he yeah when this he hit was, a big time. this is this is an interesting one actually, John, because the, the Dutch company paid him a quarter of a million uh, euros to top up his money for Prima in F two, and there was a proviso that if he didn't make F one. Uh, it didn't have a contract, a race contract in F1 by the end of 22. The money be null and void. And this is the point. This is not Nick refusing to pay what theoretically is owed. It's it's about whether that one-off drive he got with Williams in at Monza in 22 constituted a race contract or not. Because his actual contract for 23 with um, whatever they're called, RB Waste Space, um, they that would not have counted. It was outside the statute. The statute, but because he did that one race, one judge said no, you're fine. This new judge said no, you're not. So he has to pay 250 grand because officially he did start his Formula One career in 22, plus 50 percent of his income. Uh, so as Nick says, uh, the deal said uh, if he became a full-time Formula One driver by 2022, they'd get half of his F1 income. If he didn't, the loan would be forgiven. So does replacing Alex Albon? for one race make you a full-time Formula 1 driver? No. So they've, why... They've had, they've, had a, they've, had, they've had an absolute result. Mm. Basically, they've had an absolute result, the investment company. I have no idea how that could be construed, but I, but not having seen any the of the contracts, yeah. who knows? But as a basic, is that a race... Co- no, it's not. And mm. I'm pretty certain that Nick DeVries would... Um, if he'd known he was going to end up costing him minimum a quarter million dollars because he didn't have the race seat at the time, he'd have turned it down. Yes. That's a fair point. Because you've got to look at, uh, at return on investment, haven't you? You've got to think he's not going to get paid a quarter of a million dollars for standing in for Alex Albon one no. weekend. I'm not sure. Not overly sure. He got a quarter million dollars for half a season with Alfa Tauri either. Well, I was going to say exactly how many races did he do? Right, yeah, I would, assume they would... probably would have paid him off for the whole season. I assume. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this season he was due to be racing with Mahindra in Formula E and Toyota in the WEC. Mm-hmm. 
Neither of which are Formula over. One. Neither of which are Formula One. But uh, if he's got to give all that money back to uh, Investrand, then uh, we shall see what happens. How, how much has he got to give them back, Tim? 250,000 250, euros, euros plus half of all of his Formula One earnings. So 250,000 in one euro. I was going to say, mm, probably what about not. If he paid for his. Did he pay for his seat? Did he, he did think, not. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Not for Alpha Tauri, no. So, but did he actually get paid or was yes, he. Of course he did. Yes. Well, no, no, let me company. finish. Did he actually get paid or was he paying himself through sponsors? No, 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 no. No, he would actually have got paid. Not a huge amount. He would actually have got paid by that team. What? A million? A couple Possibly. of million? Mill, probably. Yeah, Mill's probably about right. So it's going to cost him probably a half to three quarters of a million euros. Mm. Yes, let's hope he didn't spend it all at once. Well, it depends if it, the agreement if was pre-tax it? or post-tax. What happens if he can't pay it? What's the sanction? What's Get the in jail. He could go to prison, couldn't he? Really? Yes. I think that's unlikely. I think, I think that's very pay. unlikely. I think more likely think his lawyer will uh, lodge an appeal and it'll drag on for another year through the Dutch courts. Well, yeah. we'll get a different result. We will, yes. Possibly. With a different judge. <laughs> do, you think, do you think in the end it would be a Dutch auction? Da-dum! <laughs> I was... Oh, very you, good. You closed that one, were you? <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, moving on. That, that, was, that was actually a bit of Formula One news, wasn't it, really? Not really. I mean, oh, it involved news. Formula One in... Right. In a sense, but it was also Formula 2 and, uh, lastly, WEC. Uh, so let's play the news cash. jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And, and can... almost certainly this week, it's uh, Northern European Formula 4, is it? That's the top story? Uh, championship hasn't started yet, but we will have more of that later <laughs> no. in the year. Uh, no. We're going to uh, continue with Nick Damon in his uh, guys as a correspondent de Formula 1. Hooray! I'm not pressing send on the pictures at all, no! <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> right, so so much to talk about with Formula One. It's um, been a quiet week. Just not a couple a, of just no, a couple about, of saying, Not a slow week. <laughs> so hang on. So yeah, but um, so so last week we just about we got Andretti in into the show, and then mm-hmm. just after we talked about that, there were other stories that came out. Tim, where would you like to go on this? Oh, I don't know. Should we start with the strike launch? No. Let's start with... Did they actually launch Strike? Because they took all of the mention of Strike off the website before they launched the car. They haven't got a licence in Switzerland. Ah. They haven't got a gambling licence in Switzerland. It's a Swiss website. So Um, they're going to have to change the name of the... uh, Change the name of the team, depending on where they are. No. No. No, they can get a licence. It's not like Mm. Switzerland doesn't have gambling. They can get a licence. They just haven't got a licence. That's a bit of an oversight, really, isn't it? If you're a, if you're a Swiss team with a Swiss website and you've got um, gambling on your car, you John, think... Hello? John, this is the same team that signed three drivers and had to work out which one was going to get the drive <laughs> in Australia. So, yes. yes. Okay, so, you know, let's be honest about this. This is like minor compared to that. Okay, yeah, move on. 
So that's not our top story in in Formula One. Uh, go on, Tim. Move on. Uh, Tick in the box. Carlos Sainz uh, is yes. looking like he's retiring from Formula One at the end of the season. I mean, he's not retiring. He doesn't got. Currently, doesn't have a contract. That's all. Who's going to give him a many, contract? Well, point actually. Stake Sauber Audi. Really? Offer him a contract. Really? Yes. No, you can't yes. call it Stake Sauber Audi because we've got listeners in uh, in Switzerland. No, no, because because the point about it is is that it is that because it's, it's the contract will cover both entities of the, of the team. Right. Okay. Uh, I think he'll have no problem at all getting a drive. Whether it's a drive he wants, that's something else entirely. He's been pretty underwhelming recently. Oh. He's the only person who won a race this year apart from uh, last year apart from Max Verstappen. Hmm. Actually, something that I've just realised is his dad's got a really good connection with Audi. Hmm. Yeah, he's and with Red Bull, the... actually. Yes, but the Red Bull, the problem with that is that he and Max Verstappen hate each other. He and Jos Verstappen hate each other, senior. No, I think it's I think Max is not. They're, they're not well, I don't know. I think certainly Carlos Sainz senior and Jos Verstappen were not good friends since seven years ago. So, no. yeah, who knows? Who knows whom he'll be making decisions at Red Bull? Uh, cut after Friday. That'll be, that'll be that's another story to come. Mm. Um, yes. Uh, why is he? <laughs> oh, so uh, are we going to talk for the reason why, why he's he, jobless? Why is he not going to have his contract renewed when it runs out at the end of the year? Because of the biggest shock ever TM in Formula 1 ever TM um, and it was surprising though I didn't, I didn't find it myself shocked the, the um, timing was surprising the announcement timing was timing surprising. was convenient no. timing was convenient Liberty uh, my god Liberty <laughs> leaked it you know F, uh, Form and Liberty leaked I'm looking at you Stefano Domenicali yes you um, that was just Nick. That was ridiculously convenient, wasn't it? It was. It was convenient because obviously they just had the bad news about Andretti, and before that could dominate the the, uh, the news for at least four or five days till the first car launch. Um, the biggest driver news TM ever. Um, and in fact, it is quite big news. Um, uh, Lewis Hamilton decided to forsake the at the end of his twelfth season with Mercedes, only and despite signing a contract back in August for what was thought to be two years, is going to join Ferrari for at least two seasons. Um, personally, I I absolutely laud him for it. I mean, he's not taking an easy option. Um, he's got to go, go up against Charles Leclerc, who's who's a very fast and b. Nah, he's finished. In the Leclerc's team. finished. He stars on the win, mate. I'm telling you now. I don't think so. I'd have kept. Um, honestly, I'd have bid Leclerc and kept Sainzy. Really? With yeah, you have some. You have some. You, you have a very weird opinion of uh, of Charles Leclerc, which is which I haven't no, got no, no, time no. to dissuade you on the show. No, 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 I don't. Uh, I just don't think he has delivered, and I think he's heads, no. The I think he's heads he gone had, now. He had more pole positions than than anyone apart from Max Verstappen. He, after uh, in the last half dozen races, um, he was significantly better than the science. The problem he has is he qualifies the car and then doesn't win the race. Everyone thinks it's a problem. The problem is the car. The car is not a good race car. He makes too uh, many mistakes. Well, make he does still make the odd strategy mistake, problems as well, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I think you know. The last, you know, it, it's true. He doesn't. He makes more mistakes than a Verstappen or a Hamilton. He's still super quick, um, and he is, you know, absolutely in the top level. And will he, he ever he, win he, a world he, championship? Will Leclerc ever win a world championship? Yes, if the car's good enough, of course he will. Mm, don't think so. Not if he stays at yeah, Ferrari, no, though. We'll, well, we don't Unless know, we get a situation where um, could be like uh, Schumacher and Irvine, where. 
Hamilton uh, ends up breaking his leg and uh, Leclerc wins Titan or nearly wins the title by default. Well, I, by I the way, don't forget, sub. Nick, by the way, don't forget Checo won two races in 2023. Oh, I ain't the only person who... No, Outside of Red Bull. Bull yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, you mentioned that... <laughs> what was that? That's, that's, <laughs> talk Nick about auditioning as a car. minion there for the next... Uh... Yeah, well, it's, the new film's out in a couple of weeks, so it's, it's, it's going to be all the rage. Um, no, I, I, I really, really applaud Hamilton for doing this. I'm, you know, it's... it's and, I, and the interesting thing is that Toto Wolff has made exactly the same mistake as Otmar Safnar made about two years ago with a ageing but very high-quality driver is not giving them the security they need. Not, not Toto. was offered... Not Toto. The Mercedes board. Mercedes no, only own a third Toto of the team. One, Mercedes got a third of the car. It's, it's a third Toto. It's a third um, Jim Radcliffe at Ineos. It's a third Mercedes. Mercedes. Mercedes don't own the team. Yes, they own the engine. They don't own the team. So it was, it was Toto. Toto does the job. He decided to get a one plus one because he wanted to keep his options open. Never sign a one. But plus the problem one. is, problem is, it kept the options open for Hamilton. Exactly the same as when uh, Lauren Rossi tried to shaft Alonso with a one-year F1 deal, then turned to go and drive the sports car. He didn't want to do that, and therefore off he goes to Aston Martin because he had it. And, and the same things happened with, with with Lewis, who's always wanted to go to Ferrari. He's been very heavily courted by John Elkan, who's the um, CEO of the Ferrari because he, he knows the PR value. The PR value yeah. is, is is yeah. Whilst, you what, know, what would you like, I'd, Lewis? Yes, is the answer. Yes. Well, he's, he's given him... 400 four, million. Uh, for a lot his, of it, for fair, that, like, Yeah, for, for the charity. He's also going to get, you know, post-career, um, you know, ambassadorship, which apparently Mercedes balked at, and you kind of wonder that why. That was Mercedes. That was Mercedes. Yeah, Mercedes balked at doing that. And I don't know why they did, because, you know, he certainly well, sold them some cars. I, I could tell you, but nobody would like it. No, and I agree entirely. Mm. Um, but, you know, effectively, if someone wants you, and this is the exact point with Alonso two years ago, and another team, however much you loved them, are kind of obviously waning in their interest, and you've always wanted to go and, and, and try a bit of fun at Ferrari, then, you know, why not? He's got nothing to lose, really. I don't think I don't red's think his always... colour, though. I think they need to change the colour. think so? I think uh, they change the colour. He, he's, he's worn some red outfits in the paddock on a Thursday before. Uh, you say, you. You say he's got nothing to lose. Who else has nothing to lose? According to Jacques Villeneuve. According to Jacques Villeneuve? Yes. Could be anybody. Tell me, then. Uh, that is uh, Carlos Sainz. Right. Uh, okay. Apparently, well, he has got he's, lost, he's lost his Ferrari drive. Viel, he's already lost that. He's got nothing left to lose. Uh, Villeneuve ah. reckons he won't uh, obey team orders or play the Ferrari game. It's good news I for d- all I of disagree. us, said the 52-year-old Canadian. I, I completely disagree with that. I completely disagree. He's not like his father. His father was very petulant in a car, and I have direct um, experience of that. Petulant? <laughs> yes, when I, when I was a marshal on the Lombard RSA rally and nearly threw him out of the rally for how petulant he was. I bet he doesn't remember that. Um, Carlos Moya hadn't been nice. I would have thrown him out of the rally, actually. Um, the, um, it's a chapter in the book. A chapter in the book. Um, I think Carlos will play the team game this year if asked to. I think what he has got is he's got a sense of freedom, Nick, that, you know, 
he can drive as fast as he wants. Um, he's basically driving for his next contract with whoever yeah, else comes along. And that can, and for some drivers that really works, and for other drivers it really doesn't. Totally agree. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. You know, Valtteri Bottas hated being on a one-year rolling contract and was much happier as soon as he got to be on a, a long-term Depaye contract. always with... did great in the last few um, rounds. Wasn't that Jean-Pierre Jarrier? And Jean-Pierre Jarrier was the same. Yes, absolutely. The, both of them, exactly. It's a French thing. Um, yeah, well, but um, yes. yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think I think I'm, you know, given the fact that it, it, it was looking it's a completely stagnant driver pool this year. At least next year we get some uh, some interesting moves and changes. He's uh, not going to Mercedes, whatever anybody else. It's not a, stru- a swap at the end of 2024, though, is it? It wouldn't be a great move. No, I think there's other moves which are better for Mercedes. Um, but surely, Sainz he wants to be a number one. If he's going to go anywhere, he's got to be a number one. This is why I think he'll go to Sauber Audi. What uh, did Lewis Hamilton do uh, the day after announcing he was off to Ferrari? Um, saw his Mercedes collection. <laughs> buy two Ferraris. I don't think he'd buy a Ferrari. I think he'd get given, get given a, a Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, in fact, it wasn't the day after. It was this week. Um, right. He uh, went off to Jerez to do some tyre testing. For who? Pirelli. In what car? The Mercedes. The last year's car. If you remember, Pirelli do these uh, tyre tests uh, randomly throughout the season and pick two teams to do each one. So it just happened that uh, this one is the Mercedes and Aston Martin. Fernando Alonso was uh, the other driver out. Yesterday, it's interesting right. that the um, the top number one drivers are, are interested in doing it this time of year because obviously it gives them a bit of chance to get sharp again. Yeah. Well, Lance Lon- Stroll in July, and they're not not quite so interested at all. Lance Stroll uh, jumped into the Aston Martin today. Did, he, did, did, Lawrence, did they let him drive Lawrence it? Though? Stroll did. Lance Stroll. Did they let him I drive it? Facing. Lawrence Stroll. I was. I honestly thought you said Lawrence. That'd Stroll. be a very very new wide cockpit. I can tell you. <laughs> Good for me though. Good point. Are we going to talk a bit of Red Bull? Because I've got a question about Red Bull from Matthew Hindman here to Nick. Uh, have you? Okay. Uh, well, there has been a Red Bull story uh, with uh, Christian Horner being investigated uh, by Red Bull and uh, a special hearing is going to take place this Friday regarding unspecified yes. allegations of inappropriate behaviour made against him by a female employee. I actually kind of don't want to go too much into this because there's a lot of rumour and speculation going around. Um, the person who's made the allegations, uh, that must have been a hard thing to do against somebody who's got such standing and that you know that we have to support. Um, but as it stands at the moment... There's not that much information out there. I've had a couple of very inf- interesting conversations over the last few days and again today. Um, what I want to talk about, Nick, on this, which I think is really interesting that Matthew Hyman's brought this up on Aspect Determined. He said, do you think we are starting to see the Uvidia family, who own 51% of Red Bull, having more influence on the sporting operations after Dietrich uh, uh, Mateschitz died that there, there is i it's been described to me as a power struggle between red bull 
the family and the drinks company and Red Bull Racing. Is is that yeah, think, part of this? Yeah. Well, without don't going know, into, I, these, I, I do really are, want to go into. No, this. I'm not going to go into the allegations. But the point about the, the thing for everyone to remember is when there is a when there is a vacuum of information, rumour rushes into. Absolutely. So, just. You know, obviously something has happened. It's being investigated. Now, the key point is it's being investigated by Red Bull, the drinks company. It's not being investigated by Red Bull Racing, the racing company. And that delineation has become a lot more important, as Matthew says, since Dieter passed. And there is a situation where Red Bull wanted Red Bull, the, sorry, Red Bull, the corporation, let's call that. They're, not, they're obviously a company limited in Austria. Yes, it's owned by the, the Thais, 51%, but the 49%, which is which is really running it, is run as an Austro-German company. And it is their MD who is involved. Now, don't forget that, that he was very, very unhappy at the back end of last year, despite winning, sorry, back end of 22, despite winning the World Championship, because they had all that negative publicity with the, with the overspending slash cheating, with the ridiculous mm-hmm. falling out of, uh, in Brazil. It was nothing but negative, uh, and of course, the sulking with sky for a couple of races there's nothing but negative publicity which as red bull racing is not important but as red bull conglomerate corporation yeah you, you if you're if you're running a racing team to be a marketing operation which they are now yes dita mashes was running it as a personal hobby which happened to sell drinks this is now a racing team that needs to sell drinks um you don't want this negative publicity so it's not surprising that you know there's been some rumination we had the issue with with helmet marco and his ill-advised south american comments and he got reprimanded again very quiet on this the corporation well yeah who can't keep his gobshit off the time about anything that's got nothing to do with formula one have you heard a word from him about this no i'm not surprised i think everyone's on everyone's on lockdown um the fact is, the fact that it's being investigated by an independent barrister through Red Bull means it's very serious, and I'm and you kind of think it's it's going to be a difficult thing to sweep under the carpet, mud sticks, and you know, my feeling is, and I have no, this is my feeling is based purely on the way corporations work this year and nothing to do with any allegations one way or the other. Yeah. I think it's going to be very hard for Christian Horner to survive. Who is his natural heir then? I, I haven't finished. I've got a lot more to say before we get to that point, Tim. Okay. There is a huge amount of Schadenfreude in the internet world because people don't like Christian Horner. He's a very dislikable person across the board. Unless you're an ardent Dutch fan of energy drinks, no one likes Christian Horner. It's it's a fact. And therefore, people are looking forward to his downfall. And there's all sorts of things. If he goes, knew he goes, it's the end of Red Bull. First things first, if on Friday or Monday, Christian Horner is asked to leave a position, it will have absolutely no effect on the 2024 World Championship. It might just mean there's less interviews on Sky because all that is already in place. All this idea that Red Bull is going to collapse because of this is... As much, you know, there are 700 people in the, on the campus. There's no reason why. Enough. There's no reason why it should do. So people need to, need to rein back their triumphalism because their triumphalism is based on if he is is based on a very serious allegation. So let's let's, let's just say that is not going to happen. Now people are saying, oh, well, there's a there's a A to B to C. If Horner goes, New will go. Therefore, New will go to Ferrari. No, he won't. Honestly, it's like, oh, God, calm down. Oh, and Verstappen will go. It's like, oh, dear. Well, there is a clause in Verstappen's uh, contract about if any one of the big three leave, then... Well, yeah, there is. But, I mean, again, it's like, where do you go? As you say, it's... It's It's Horner really one of the big three? 
Sorry, say again, Tim. Is Horner really one of the big three? No, he's one of the big three that's named in the contract. Horner knew he had... It's also, obviously, unbelievably Marco, who, once again, they said today how much they lord you... Well, they they didn't. Joss Verstappen, who shouldn't talk about anything like this, I don't think. um, Why would Verstappen uh, leave a car that's going to win him the next two World Championships? In fact, it'll win him the World Championships until the rules change. 26? Well, it doesn't matter. That's no, the they've got the car. It doesn't matter. So it, it, and also, they're not, they're, not, they're not a one-man team. I mean, you know, this is, it's, it's, it's not the situation where one man is designing a car like Colin Chapman was in the 60s. It, you know, there's hundreds of people. There's a lot of... Yeah, it's not going to disappear overnight. It doesn't, it doesn't collapse that way. It, it, you know, it, it, may, it may... you know it, it, So people have to think that through. Obviously, as Tim was the question, you've got to ask me, who is going to take over from, from Christian Horner? And the answer is, well, he hasn't gone yet. If he does go, then it's probably going to be Jonathan Wheatley, at least in the short term, who, of course, is... Um, can I just say... I'm, I'm persuading Michael Massey to let them win the 2021 championship. Well, that's a good point. Uh, can I just say, I've already told them I'm not going. I'm not moving to Milton Keynes. No. I could walk to work if I, I know if you I could. You should take it on. Um, just by the way, just on what you were saying about drinks company selling drinks, it's a very good point that you made there. Because um, when Lewis Hamilton signed for Ferrari, now look, everybody knows on this program, I am not a Lewis Hamilton fan, neither I am a, a Lewis Hamilton apologist. I'm not not a fan either. I, I, it, it just, I'm ambivalent towards Lewis. However, if you are talking about the effect that Lewis Hamilton has within a sport and beyond the sport, the on a market cap of $66 billion, um, Lewis Hamilton signing for Ferrari put them up over 10% on their share value when that was announced. Yeah. That's not an I mean, insignificant uh, amount. Um, if, if a statman... Um, if, if a statman re-signs, do the, does that have the same effect on... No, I mean, the, 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 whether I people so. like it, whether people like it or not, and outside of the confines of the motorsport world, where we all go, Max, where we all recognise that Max Verstappen is currently the preeminent driver, in the real world, Hamilton is fifty times a bigger star than he's money. He's money, isn't he? It, that, you know, it, to he, use he's the... known in America. He's known worldwide. He's, you know, Verstappen. He's is transcended trying, he, the he, sport. But, but then the thing to Max, Max isn't interested in doing that. So that's fine. No, Max that's true. Just wants to do, he wants to race his cars or race his virtual cars or go on a yacht with his missus. And fair enough, why wouldn't you? Um, whereas Lewis has got a, a, a life where he wants to live and, and, and mix with, you know, with, with celebrities and stars and, and also try and do something hey, that's a lasting legacy hey, outside the, the racetrack. Here's one thing about 2024, if there is upheaval at the Milton Keynes team. Uh, right turn lover uh, in Switzerland, not allowed to say stick. At the moment, um, how, on, so how do you how do you how do you order meat then? Uh, just a large piece of beef, please, medium rare. Um, Red Bull is not just brilliant car design in terms of its success; it's also brilliant trackside operations. And do you think that a sudden and potentially unprepared change in leadership could have effect on that side of things in 2024? That's a no. fair point, isn't it, Nick? No, I don't think no, Horner provided right, any leadership not. here. He, he was the yeah. he was the public yeah, right. facing the face of the team. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't really have any power in the team. He doesn't really have any control over the team. They have uh, a very good uh, Much structure ground, in fact. structure for the way they work. Uh, but he's basically there to talk to the media. Much to his chagrin, as I said. He wants I think he's a bit. I think he's a bit. I think he's a bit more than that. But I know what you're saying, Tim. He he wanted part. He wanted to be part of the team, like Toto is. He he still 
aims at everything at Toto or Disney because ironically the man who made all his money out of Red Bull um, owns the team or owns uh, uh, part of the team that he works for um, do we have time for uh, one more story before half time um, well we've got so Actually, much more a little bit. to do because um, we've still got uh, some Formula One launches to cover, but maybe we'll do those after our big interview. Uh, Seems uh, you mentioned earlier that um, Lewis Hamilton, of course, already had a Mercedes uh, contract for 2025. Uh, sure. And uh, earlier on, I asked uh, Sir Jackie Stewart uh, about that contract. Um. It doesn't have any rigidity anymore. There's no strength left in it. I've logged Mark in the shed, so I get to say, still to come on Midweek Motorsport. Ah, wise words, Jackie, wise words. Coming up in the second half of tonight's programme, I suspect we'll have to go back to some Formula One launch news. I was at one today, first time in a long time, actually. Uh, And... uh, it was pretty good. Uh, we have, I think we've got HRA coming along tonight. Tim will tell us about that in the second half of the programme. We've got the Simcast tomorrow night and that special Alpine A424 launch programme as well tomorrow. More news on that as we go through. Uh, coming up next, uh, with a bit of luck and a fair wind, we'll connect to Brisbane in Australia uh, and speak to a man who is looking for more success for Porsche this year Matt Campbell will be joining us next your tweets please at Specutainment it's Series 19 Midweek Motorsport on RS1 well I'm delighted to say that we are joined by a Rolex 24 Daytona winner a first time Rolex 24 Daytona winner in the overall category Uh, welcome to Midweek Motorsport Matt Campbell hello Matt Hi, John. How are you? Well, I'm all right. How are you? Has it sunk in yet? Has it? Have you realised what happened a couple of weekends ago? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's quite surreal to to look back and think now. I mean, for me, it also the sunk in. I think it was Tuesday um, last week. You know, I was only saying to someone the other day. I mean, after the race, the the only thing I sort of did on my phone, I called my mum back and. You know, she obviously congratulated me and everything. And then I sort of stayed off my phone for the next, like, 24 hours. I didn't really do anything. So, uh, yeah, sort of soaked it up and, and took it all in. Uh, well, congratulations. You are a Rolex 24-hour uh, of Daytona winner. Um, smashing race. I enjoyed pretty much every bit of it that I was on for. I got a couple of hours kip in the middle of the night on the front seat of the car. Um, all, the, all the glamour. Um very unusual, and this was this was mentioned by a few of our listeners and viewers during the race. Very unusual that three, that, sorry, that four such accomplished drivers all win it for the first time together. That's extraordinary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, obviously, me and Felipe have a little bit of history in the race with the the victory with Matthew in twenty twenty two, but obviously that was GT, like you mentioned. Um, and this is you know the first time overall, and. You know, it was extremely special. I think the the way the race ebbed and flowed as well made it that much more special. And uh, you know, when you have people like Dane Cameron and Joseph Newgarden who who joined me and Felipe, and uh, you know, Dane, you know, he was obviously quite emotional after the race because mm. it was very special to him. 
he'd competing, been competing there for, you know, around 15 to 16 years. And, and to finally see him get his first win there was uh, was very special. And obviously, Porsche and Penske coming back to, to the top in 2024 too. So, um, you know, it was a really, really, really cool race. And, uh, you know, one I'll never forget. That's a good point that you make there. Because we as fans watch and we get emotional about what's going on and we get excited. You guys are pro racing drivers and you've been a pro Porsche driver for for quite a long time now. Do the big races like that and the big occasions like that, do they still get to you? Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, after or during the the end of the race, you know, I, I... I was trying to do everything to, as possible to be able to, let's say, replicate the 2022 and remember what I did there when it worked out. So making sure I didn't move, watching the whole last sort of hour or two hours of the race and uh, not, not wanting to take my eyes off the TV. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they still get to you. Uh, it's very, very special. You know, starting the year off strong like this is um, always one of the best feelings and it really sets your year in motion. And I think for our program as well, you know, obviously Daytona last year was um, a little bit more of a difficult race with reliability issues and so forth. And now to be able to come back, Carl was strong and, and also a very, very good performance over the entire 24, um, taking it to the Cadillac. So, um, you know, it makes it that much more special. Tell me about last season then. What, what did you learn last season as a group with Porsche Penske Motorsport? And... and... I mean, Le Mans was probably the lowest point, but you came back really strongly after that mid-season test. Um, what, what, what did you learn? What was the turning points? If there were turning points, individual things, what changed last to the back end of last season? Because the car and the team, both in WEC and in IMSA, seemed to do a, a lot better post Le Mans. Yeah, definitely. I think you know everything leading up to Le Mans. I would say more or less after Sebring, the build-up to Le Mans. That's when things really started to turn around, and then I think after Le Mans, that's when we really started to put it all together and, and actually get the results through and let's say have some consistency. And um, you know, I think a lot of this is down to you know more or less up to Sebring. Um, you know, we're only focused on on the endurance of the car, making it last, and, and the reliability and so forth. And essentially we hadn't been able to do much performance testing and, and really after this point, you know, let's say the two biggest um, endurance races in, in us at least had uh, already been completed. So, you know, we really were able to knuckle down and just focus on performance and, and let's say working as a group together and improving our working relationship as well, which I think, you know, going forward um, through the rest of the year really uh, helped us, especially in the IMSA championship. Um, obviously WEC was a little bit different, but um, yeah, it was super, super strong. We really had some good consistency and, and getting some results on a tree um, towards the end of the year in IMSA. So um, I think, you know, the combination of, let's say, focusing more on a, the performance of the car and, and just working together as a group, you know, understanding each other, what we want, and and also me, me and Felipe learning together with our engineer roles. So, um, you know, it was really, really cool to enter the year and, and took a lot away from it. Obviously, it was my first year um, racing and prototype and, in the top level. So, um, you know, there was a lot learned from my side and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I must say the cars aren't necessarily the easiest car to drive all the time, but um, they're really rewarding uh, when you can put it all together. And, and that's what I love about it. I'm told, Matt, and, and you're a perfect person to ask about this, uh, to, to see if this is the same with the Porsche. I'm told by some of the guys who've driven some of your um, competitor cars that... Um, 
and I'm simplifying this massively. Remember who you're talking to here. <laughs> but, but I'm told that it's rather like a big GTE car, not necessarily in in um, exact means, but certainly in the driving style, these, these LMDH GTP cars. Is that the same for the Porsche? Yeah, I would tend to agree. I mean, you know, myself, um, not having much prototype experience for four, I think the transition into to prototypes now has been made a little bit easy because, as you say, they're a little bit closer to, let's say, a GT car. Um, obviously, they're, they're quite a heavy prototype for what they are. They've got a lot of power. Um, and compared to the GT, we just have obviously a lot more systems, a lot, lot more things going on on the steering wheel and, and systems and so forth. So I think that has made life a little bit easier um, for some of us Porsche drivers, obviously coming from GT, um, because it's not like, let's say, an LMP1 car or, and the previous P1 cars. So um, I think it has made life a little bit easier and, and better for us to adapt. And... Inter- right, let's let's talk about this season leading up to the win at, at Daytona. Was there much? There was no change in the car over the winter, or, or was there? You you tell me. Yeah, so there was some very small changes to the car, okay. uh, mostly in system and software. You know, just trying to improve everything. Um, you know, making all the systems work together a lot more, and and just fine tuning. Basically, you know, going over the car, fine tooth comb. And, um, you know, just getting all those niggly little bugs out um, that we sort of found last year and no major, let's say, um, you know, new parts on the car, just just lots of little updates. So um, making it complete. Uh, going into Daytona, then you'd done some testing. Obviously, you'd been at the Raw uh, the week before. How does that sit with you as a driver? Uh, we had a long discussion about it um, during the race and actually in Michelin Post Race Tech. Um, the, the fans seem to be split as whether they like qualifying uh, the week before. And I suppose from a, a competitor point of view, it means you can concentrate on on the race in, in race week. Is that is that good for you guys? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit mixed as well. Um, you know, it, it's quite weird not having qualifying on a, on a race weekend, you know. But in saying that, um, I think for us, it didn't wouldn't really have changed much, let's say, because, you know, obviously, Felipe was our qualifying and, and starting driver. So he was mostly focused on on the performance of the car and qualifying. And then myself, Joseph and Dane, you know, we were really focused on the race car. And, and this really stayed throughout the whole Raw event and also uh, the race weekend. You know, we were really focused on, on making the best race car we could. And obviously, Felipe was focused on the Raw event, at least, you know, getting the performance out of the car. So... I don't think it would have changed our plan much. Um, but, yeah, it's a little bit odd for sure. But I think it's quite natural now, um, having done it for a few years with the qualifying being at the raw. Mm. Um, and I think we're all quite used to it. But, you know, I think it's also a nicer – I don't know what the word is, but let's say, you know, having the, the two weeks, uh, two weekends back-to-back, yeah. I think compared to, you know, the past before COVID, I think it's a really good compromise. And, and I believe it's working a lot better for the teams as well. The you, you go into race week with Porsche and with Porsche Penske Motorsport, you, you, you're thinking about a victory. You have to. Um, that's what all the guys in the GTP class, and my goodness, it is so close. During the race, um, how closely were you able to stick to your quote-unquote plan A that you would have talked about before the green light at one forty on Saturday? Yeah, I think we we absolutely stuck to it our, our entire time. I think 
that was a really um, big plus for our car on, on car seven. You know, we we're, were really able to stick to our plan, not only during the race, but also the entire, let's say, lead up and, and the race weekend, you know, um, sticking to our structure. And, and I think that really paid off long term, you know, uh, being the race weekend, like you say, for the race, um, you know, our structure and our, let's say, run plan, um, we stuck to it perfectly. Obviously altered a little bit towards the end of the race when it was just me and Felipe, I think, for the last eight hours. But, yeah, before that, you know, we... Uh, we just kept going, you know, just pit stop cycles and, and going through the motions. So um, everything went really smooth. We had no major issues on the car and um, we just ticked over them hours. Was that always the plan, Matt? Just, just for you and Felipe, the two full season drivers to do the last third, the last third of the race? Um, initially it wasn't, um, you know, but um, this was a decision made by the pit stand um, very late in, in, or, you know, in the early hours of the morning. And, um, yeah, this sort of took effect. And I think it was, yeah, from like 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. Or, or whatever it was, it was just me and Felipe um, to the end. So, um, yeah, it worked out obviously quite well, um, just back to back for us in the last hours. And we were really comfortable and, and confident in the car. And, and obviously, Felipe did a fantastic job there in the last mm. end as well. Yeah, careful. You'll be getting the just a two two driver team for the the 12 hours of Sebring if you're not careful and petite <laughs> you want to be careful you did such a good job there was a moment late late-ish in the race last couple of hours I think of the race where um, everybody came in under a yellow it wasn't the very last yellow um, and you guys managed to turn both cars around and get out ahead of the Whelan car and Pete Moore was in it I think even at that stage because he did the long run to the end um that looked like a turning point to me, um, but then again, I'm I don't have all the data and I'm not in the car. How how did it feel for you guys? And when did you think? Do you know what we might have something for these pesky Cadillacs? I think for for us um, at this point of the race, like I say, this was still probably a, a couple or a few stints um, before the end. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I I thought we were in a really good position um, because I think we had a, a slight fuel advantage or, or energy advantage um, as we had gone a little bit longer um, than the caddies, and and then obviously that really proved itself in the last stint when we we're able to. You know, go off the Whelan car. Um, you know, I suppose a, a lucky point is not winning the championship last year. The Whelan car is positioned P1 in pit lane and we we're about P7, I think we were. So obviously we were able to judge on them and, and pull um, to be able to get a track position. But for us, in the last half of the race, for us, um, the really critical part point was to to be able to try and be at the front and, 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 and lead the race. For us, track position um, was a really strong point. Um, and, and, you know, having clean air, I think managing the traffic how, how you want. And I think this really proved itself as well. It's magnificent to watch, Matt, from my point of view. The, the over-the-top uh, overtake uh, on, on people by, by your car, that had us hearts in mouths. Looked great from the overhead, the helicopter shot as well. I take it you were all, all you lot were all sitting on the pit box watching that as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, like I said earlier, I, I didn't want to move. I didn't want to go anywhere. I just wanted <laughs> to uh, to watch uh, and uh, watch Felipe go to work. I mean, it was a phenomenal end to the race. You know, the last, I think it was seven hours or so, when it really just ebbed and flowed mm. between the, the, the Cadillacs and, um, you know, Car 7. So 
really, really cool ends, you know, me and Felipe at the end and, and always running at the front, you know, first or second in, in the field and uh, always able to come back through as well on restarts. So I think that was another strong point of our car is it always came alive on, on restarts when yeah. the tyres were a little bit cooler. So um, I think that was also a, a benefit. Yeah, and all the way, everybody had to, in the GTP class had to save tyres like mad in the first half of the race so that you had new tyres to the end. And it seemed the cars were very, very well balanced uh, in terms of performance at that point. Sets it up nicely for the, the season, um, but now <laughs> you've got to change focus and put your GT head back on because we're off to Bathurst and the Repco 12 hours. Now, am I right in saying, I had to look this up, and I, th- I hope this is right. Did you make your Bathurst 12 hours uh, debut in a Fiat of Bath 500 that year that they, that they ran two or three of them? Uh, I, I did. I mean, debut is a big word, let's say. Um, <laughs> it was an interesting uh, experience, to say the least. But it was my first uh, Bathurst 12 hours. And then the next year, I was lucky enough to, to come in GD3 car for the first time and, and ever since. <laughs> but um, yeah, there, there's plenty of stories involved around that, that project. But uh, yeah, that was the, the first, let's say, um, big professional experience I, I ever had at the mountain. Mm. That was with Matt, uh, Matt Cherry and Luke Ellery, uh, says the, look, I've looked this up, so I don't think I've got this out of my head. Fiat Abarth 500 in 2014, Fiat Australia uh, and Abarth Australia, they were just launching the car over there, and it was a brilliant idea, and they gave all the marshals a nice goodie bag as well, because they said, we know we're not going to be the quickest, so you'll be waving blue flags at us, so have a hat, have somewhere to sit down, have some uh, have some sunscreen, and we'll bring you something around to eat. Uh, I thought that was a genius idea. Uh, winner, of course, in 2019 with Earl Bamba Motorsport with Dennis Olsen and Dirk Werner with that frankly ridiculous move down in into the elbow Matt you've got to stop doing things like that it makes us look bad in the commentary booth because I said you can't get through there and of course you proved me wrong yeah I mean looking back now you know it's it's always one of my favorite events uh, of the entire calendar i might be a little bit biased when i say that because obviously being an aussie and, and Bathurst being my favorite track in, in the world but you know the event uh, it always puts on a great show you know you look at the cars and the teams and the manufacturers that are coming out now and uh it's always a lot of a lot of fun and, and very exciting the last half of the race always so um you know i've been 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 having a good run there in the last years i must say you know obviously the the win in in 19 um you know an outright podium the year before in in a pro-am entry and and ever since you know we've always been in the fight you know yeah. uh, even last year with with a second so um you know hopefully this year we can go one better and get to that top step again um you know this year as well we're bringing our new 992 gd3r um obviously last year we were still in the older generation car yeah so hopefully that brings, you know, a, a slight little edge um, again and um, we can have a really good run. But, yeah, looking forward to getting back to the mountain. It'll be uh, tough getting back into a GT car around there. You know, the last time I drove um, this generation of car was Nürburgring 24-hour last year, so quite a long time ago. And then before that, um, last GT race was um, Adelaide last year for um, GT World Challenge Australia. So, uh, yeah, it'll be uh, a tough, tough transition for sure. What's the key, Matt, to uh, a good stint uh, and therefore a good race at, at Mount Panorama? It's such a busy track. And for those who haven't seen, by the way, make sure you tune into the international feed. It's all free. We'll have some radio coverage in the early part of the week before telly gets switched on. But then you can watch all over the world uh, with the 
full commentary from, from trackside. These cars over the top are something special, Matt, aren't they? Ah, oh, phenomenal. I mean, uh, and it's been quite cool as well because, you know, like, like I said earlier, um, I've done quite a few events now at Bathurst 12-hour and, and seeing the evolution of the GD3 cars has, has been really, really cool, you know. The first time I went there in the proper GD3 car was a 997 GD3R and, you know, it was a great car, but, you know, you look back at to last year and the 991 Gen 2 car and, and the difference across the top of the mountain is is quite phenomenal. You know, now we're, we're almost flat the entire way. No way. Um, whereas, you know, back a few years ago, you know, we're having big lifts everywhere. So so now, you know, more or less um, a lot of the race, <laughs> you can be almost flat across the entire top, except for going, obviously, onto Skyline. So, um you know, it's, it's crazy that the cars are getting so fast now, but, you know, so rewarding to drive, especially at such a track, you know, with the walls so close. And, and yeah, absolutely love it. It's a track where the driver does make a big difference, Matt. And is that something you thrive on? But most definitely, you know, I absolutely love Bathurst. And I think, you know, having so much experience there from, from my past years, whether it be in a, a supercar or, or career cup car or, or GD3 car, um, you know, really rewards and, and pays off. You know, you can always see a bit of a difference in, in, in certain corners, especially um, compared to some of my teammates. Uh, and obviously, these are world-class drivers, but I think just the, the local, let's say, experience can, can really pay off and you can definitely see in, in certain styles of corners um, that, you know, there is a difference there. And, and Bathurst, you know, is one of those tracks where, um, you know, this really shows. To... Uh... Two Manthai cars uh, going down uh, this year. I say going down. You're already there. I'll I'll be joining you <laughs> shortly. Um, you've got to look at those two cars. Well, to be honest, I was going to say you've got to look at those two cars as favourites, but I can look through the top class and pretty much everybody's got half a chance at least, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. I think this is always the, the cool part about the Bath's 12 hour, you know, like I said earlier, the, the teams and, and manufacturers that are involved in this race and always come down. Uh, obviously the European hasn't season hasn't started yet. So, you know, a lot of these teams come down and do this event and you look at the, the strength within the, you know, for an example, the, the Mercedes stable and, and the teams they've got involved with and the drivers they get sent down. And, and then for us, Porsche has got a really big emphasis this year as well with a lot more cars, hmm. more or less back to how it was in, in 2020. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can take the fight to them. Obviously, they they won the race last year mm-hmm. uh, and they're, they're going to be uh, tough ones to beat for sure. You've got uh, Lawrence Van Tour and um, Aichan Guven in the car with you. Um, well, whatever happens, you'll have some fun, won't you, with those two? <laughs> Most definitely. I mean, uh, you know, Lawrence, I, I know very well. Um, you know, we're only in uh, Barcelona a couple of days ago testing for the for the WEC team as well, straight after Daytona. So, spent plenty of time with him lately. <laughs> um, and then I mentioned, I mean, uh, you know, know him reasonably well, um, get along extremely well together. Um, but it's his first time to the mountain. So, there's a good contrast in our team. You know, I think I have a lot of experience at the mountain. Lawrence has been there quite a few times and is very fast. And then we've got Anshin, who is very quick, um, but then is new to the mountain. So um, for him, I have no no uh, doubt that he'll be able to adapt very quickly. Um, so for him, it will be about the experience. And, and for me, already probably working on the car from uh, the early sessions. So, um, yeah, it'll be really, really interesting. Obviously, you know, same team as last year with Ian and A Mentai. Yeah. Um, they were phenomenal last year. Didn't put a foot wrong. And, 
and we've already spent a little bit of time with them at the workshop in early January, uh, making sure the seats and everything is uh, sorted. So I think we're really prepared and um, yeah, ready to ready to go when we get there. Well, the Grello car is always a fan favourite, Matt, and the team car running in the arm uh, as well. Chance of a, a, a couple of top steps in in class there. Although, of course, when you get to the end, it's every driver for themselves. Uh, the the shell colours on uh, the other car. I mean, goodness me, I'm looking at the pictures now. That looks like the world's best skill electric set, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I mean, the deliveries for this year's event uh, look really, really good. Um, you know, especially our our pro am entry with uh, with Yasser. Um, you know, it looks really, really cool. So, I think as a team, um, you know, we look looked apart for sure. And uh, obviously, a lot bigger team. Obviously, last year we only ran the one car. Now, two cars this year. Um, so yeah, really jump starting the the year for them. And uh, we've got everything ready. I'll, I'll, I'll let you go in a sec because I know how busy you are. I want to ask you one last question and it comes down to the start of the race. Is there anywhere else in the world where we could start in the dark where, generally speaking, I know this changed last year or the year before, but generally speaking, the starting driver might not have seen Bathurst in the dark if he hasn't been there before because we don't qualify in the dark. We don't practice in the dark, but we start the race in the dark. And I, long may that continue. I think it's brilliant. Is that is that a struggle for the starting driver? Um, for sure, it can be a bit of a struggle, but I, I think, you know, it, it's one of the, the coolest aspects of the race and, and something that is so unique um, <laughs> compared to the rest of the endurance races around the world, you know. And uh, I must say, like, in my past years, we've always thrown in, let's say, the, the rookie driver for the start. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's phenomenal, you know, to do the start there. There's only, obviously, a short period of the race that's actually in complete darkness, you know, before the sun starts to rise, but... It's so cool, but so difficult at the same time, you know, with the headlights around there, the glare, um, bouncing off the walls, you know, only black walls. So it's very hard to, to mm-hmm. see where they're at. And, uh, but, it, but it does, it gives you goosebumps and it's a very cool part of the race and um, something I've done a few times. Um, but let's see who does it this year. Well, I've, I've got to say, it's one of the coolest sights in motorsport to see the field roll off before dawn and then the sun come up. You see why pa- Mount Panorama has that name. Matt, congratulations. Pass on all of our best and our thanks as well to uh, your teammates at Porsche Penske Motorsport. Congrats for the Rolex win. Um, magnificent entertainment at the Rolex. And we wish you uh, a good drive and the best of luck uh, you need a bit of look at the mountain sometimes. What is it I always say? The mountain decides. Well, that's very true. And I'll see you down there in uh, a few days, mate. Sounds good, mate. Look forward to it. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Matt Campbell with us on Midweek Motorsport. Tim Gray is up in London. We'll be there next week doing the show from the future. Well, you might Frills be. And I. Live in the press room on our own at all dark 30. Tim, where would you like to go next? I'm going to tell you what's happening when we finish here at 10 o'clock tonight, John. Uh, because it's a historic racing news radio show. And they're joined by Tim Foster to talk about Group B rally cars of the 1980s. Of Tim course. Foster. There's a name I haven't heard for a while. Mm. Tim Foster, who used to be the Vauxhall touring car um, uh, guru. And yes. Do the PR. Wow. He's he's uh, behind the uh, resurgence of uh, Group B rally cars, uh, which you can I see at Race Retro. 
later this month. That's 23rd, 24th and 25th of February, if you uh, fancy going along to that. Uh, also on the show, uh, Don Wales talking about uh, uh, the controversy since uh, Bluebird K7 was raised from the bottom of a lake. And uh, my favourite motorsport story, which I think is probably actually my favourite motorsport story, which is suitable for radio, uh, <laughs> featuring the favourite motorsport stories of uh, Joe Bradley and uh, Jim Roller. So plenty uh, of options for them. Tomorrow night at 8 here on RS1, it's the Simcast uh, covering the new and largely overlooked eSports series from the DTM. Plus, a really cool prize for the first 3,000 entrants to the official WRC club event. Uh, Plus, are the changes to Forza Motorsports too little too late? And Le Mans Ultimate and their early access beta version. It's Matt and Stephen tomorrow at 8 here on RS1. Let's do. Can I quickly say? No, there's no time. The the Bathurst breakfast idea is, uh, is catching on. Uh, uh, right turn lover who won't be there said why don't you have it on the roof will the Wi-Fi stretch and I think it might uh, I, I, I assume Krills is listening to this as he's getting ready or he's on his way to the airport and you could do it in the pit lane this. could do it the, uh, possibly possibly I, I feel that on Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday um, I feel that on Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday we are going to have to um, we're going to have to do a bit of testing. Yes. Um, to to find out where we're actually being able to to get the wifi. Um, so thank you for all your tweets on that. I'd expect you to tell them. Sorry, uh, you were going to go off on what sports cars? Because last oh, week we are. talked a lot about American sports cars, and we completely neglected European sports cars. And the FIA World Endurance Championship is quite important. Uh, to us lots of driving news Uh, so I'm going to start and Nick Damon's still with us I'm going to start with uh, Antonio Cerevale right he's He's got a drive he's got a drive where Nick Isotta Franchini Fraschini Fraschini Isotta Franchini Isotta listen listen this is important because I've been told Isotta Fraschini Do you know what it sounds like? What? It sounds like a scooter and a bottle of wine. Well, I don't think that's a problem. If <laughs> no, I'm honest. That's, that's two very fine things. But finish with the scooter <laughs> well, before you open the wine. Mm. Well, yes. yes, actually. Never, yes, never yes. drink and drive. Never scoot and drink. He's a 21-year-old Canadian, despite his name. He says, I feel incredibly honoured to compete alongside renowned automotive brands like Isotta Fraschini and Michelotto Engineering, both with their rich history. That, but but they're not in... Did you say the European Le Mans series? No. This is the World Endurance uh, Championship. Right, OK, yes, OK. Also in the um, World Endurance Championship, oh, someone else yes. with an Italian-sounding name, Daniel Mancinelli. Mm-hmm. He's uh, staying at Heart of Racing in the Aston Martin, uh, now in LMGT3, alongside Alex Riberas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a art car from BMW. This is going to be the number 20 because ah, it's the 20th oh, anniversary or the 20th sorry. art car. Uh, so it's going to have race number 20. I think. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, they um, haven't done them every year, have they? No, so no, they it's, have not. It's the 20th art car, not necessarily 20 years since the first art car. So this is art car number 20. It's going to have race number 20, and it was designed by Julie Muretu, and will be driven by René Rast, Sheldon von der Linde, and Robin Freins. And will be the first BMW art car, if it gets to the race, to actually compete. Because the Jenny Holzer car back in 1999 did the, did the qualifying weekend, which was a qualifying weekend in those days, qualifying day, but never actually competed in the race. It, it was only on display. It was very cool, that one, Protect Me From What I Want and a whole load of other things, um, which was in silver foil on a white BMW V12 LMR. But in the sunshine, as it soaked up the um, sunlight the silver foil went blue. Ooh. It was really, really clever. It's really, really clever. And way ahead of its time. But as I say, that car never actually raced. Now, you can argue, and um, Neil, our artist in residence, and I have had this discussion, funny enough, you can argue about whether there have been art cars at Le Mans before in the top class, because you could argue that the hippie martini car and the Porsche Pink Pig might well have been art cars um, but BMW have not had a, an art car in the top class um, race in the top class um, that right. Jenny Holzer one was the closest it got, the, the others were all GT cars including the Andy Warhol car of course Next, what do the following four drivers have in common? Sean Gillel, Ahmed Alharty, Maxime Martin, Darren Lung They're all racing together Yes in the Asian Le Mans the series. BMW. No, this is World, World Endurance Championship news. Oh, right, OK. BMW GT3. No, if it's Amadel Harty, he'd be racing a Porsche, would he not? These are WRT's BMWs. Oh, right. Thank you very much. Well done, Amadel Harty okay. and Maxime Martin are joining Valentino Rossi in the 46. Of course. And of the course. other two are with uh, Gusto Farfus in the number 31. That was announced at the weekend. I talked to, to Divya Wehmer from uh, Sportscar365 today about that. That was some party at Spa, and I'm very disappointed we weren't there. Uh, they had it in a hotel that actually I've stayed in, even I've stayed in before, just opposite the Radisson Bleu, um, right in the centre of town. And at about 1.30 in the morning, Valentino Rossi took over the DJ stand. And was pretty good by all accounts. I and have heard that about him. Yes, yeah, he's annoyingly good at pretty much everything, but still a lovely bloke. And about three thirty was when somebody decided it was a good idea to knock it on the head. So that was a pr- that was a pretty good uh, a pretty good outing session. Yeah, pretty good session. Yeah. Uh, um, the opening round of the FIA World Endurance Championship is the eighteen twelve kilometres of Qatar. And Tchaikovsky Cad- sponsored. Cadillac have brought in an extra driver alongside Alabama and Alex Lynn. Uh, and right. that's one Sebastian Bourdais. Yes. Sebastian Bourdais. And you you would not argue with that given his um given his performances in the Cadillac in the States. Um very interested to see how LaSalle uh, works for for World Endurance Cars. Very yes. interested indeed. Worked very well for um, bikes. 
this has always worked well for bikes. I'm not sure it worked quite so well for Formula One. But we'll if they could work out the delineation of the circuit and Pirelli could d- design some decent tyres, it might have a chance. Might not be a problem for for Michelin then in that case. Really? Uh, mm, oddly. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway. We'll, we'll have some. Uh, it's the 18-12, so the overture to that, of course, will Bum-tish. be the prologue, and we'll have some exclusive... Well, you're not, not having a bum-tish for that, are you? Come uh, on. Um, I thought we'd like something a little more orchestrated. Um, the... You've only got one voice. Okay. Um, we'll have some programming from the prologue, and we'll be doing some live content from the... The prologue? No, it will be lag from my point of view because I won't know which time zone I'm being on because I'm buzzing around again for the next three weeks. And um, uh, the final driver announcement I've got is James Cottingham, who is uh, filling the final gap, I believe, at United Autosports, unless they have uh, any other gaps. I don't think they do. That was announced today, wasn't it? It was announced this morning, yes. Yes, I, I, I thought so. Um... Just, um, you mentioned Isotta Fraschini. Yes, um, I did. Um, I, I, we, I did notice, who did I notice from there that had gone to do something else as well? Because that's why I said European Le Mans series. Um, I th- who was, oh, it was Raquel Me. Uh, right, Stefan Raquel Me has gone to Vector Sport. Now, that's interesting because... Vector Sport was supposed to be running. Yes, yes. exactly. Was supposed to be running the Azotta Fraschini, um, and they got binned rather unceremoniously. And Stefan Raquelmi's gone to them um, for the uh, for the European Le Mans series instead, which was uh, was quite interesting. Um, also, uh, Michelle Gatting, Rahel Fry, and Sarah Bovi Bovi are back in a Porsche in the ELMS this season. Oh. Um, which um, is interesting. Um, not a Lamborghini. So there you go. Um, WEC news then. Just, when we're talking about the Iron Dames. Yes. Yeah. Have you heard the? I'm going to throw this in. Have you heard the absolutely ridiculous decision made by uh, the FIA about uh, Dorian Pan's championship, the F1 Academy? Right. If you win the F1 Academy which is lower than Formula 4, you get 10 super licence points, the same as coming fourth in IndyCar, or I think sixth in the World Endurance Championship. What have you said before about this, Nick? What is it? Whose championship is that? We don't really have time for this. Very quickly, whose championship is this? Sorry. There you go. And there's your answer. Um, we didn't talk we about the Iron Dames lineup, which was confirmed uh, last mm-hmm. week. We didn't talk about it on last week's show. But uh, no. Dorian Pan, uh, Sarah Bovey, Michelle Gatting, and uh, for the Iron Lynx, it's uh, Matteo Cressoni, Claudio Schiavone, and Frank Pereira. Uh, uh, Frederick Vesti has jumped into Cool Racing's Orica Gibson with Ferdy Habsburg um, for LMP2 in the European Le Mans series. Yeah, let's um, get back to the uh, WEC though, because oh, you went to the launch of the Alpine uh, A424 earlier. I did, and it's lovely. Listen, it is, it is absolutely beautiful. It's an Orica chassis. Um, they've Played around with the engine just a little bit. The design 
of the car is incredible. Tell you a little bit more about what we're going to be doing with this in a moment, but I just want you to listen to a piece of audio that will be in the show tomorrow, but just to give you an idea about how Alpine have gone about this. Remember, they were in the top class, then the car was um, aged out effectively. They did a season of F2, uh, of um, LMP2, and then they've come back. Uh, Philippe Signon is the man at the head. And if you've seen the pictures, you will know why I asked this question first. I said to him, Philippe, who decided on the design of the rear lights? Uh, as you know, Alpine is always like this. It's a French spirit, especially with a design team with Alpine. We, we find a way to, to, to say, have a look, we are in front of you guys. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's... it's, it's oh, even if it's a marketing sign, it's a, it's a, it's a sign for the mind, the approach the spirit. Totally, so. totally agree, and it's attention to detail. How happy are you with what we've now seen as the A424? The, the design of the car is perfect, and, and we have a good package. To be, to be clear, we have a really good package. Alpine is it's an ambitious brand, and... Uh, when Alpine is on the track, at the end, Alpine finished uh, with the win. So, after that, we are there. We need more tests. The focus will be on the reliability. Mm-hmm. We start at Qatar. It's not easy for us. Please give us sometimes. Sometimes, yes. But the spirit stays the same. You know, uh, before the first run, really the first run with the car, every engineer was with uh, the computers and data, and they were ready to be at nine precisely on the track. I say, no, guy, we have to take time. Please come with me around the car. Take time to appreciate, to, to take the, the me- measurement of this moment. Correct. It's crucial. It's crucial. And now we can go. Eight minutes after we go. Yeah. Uh, Philippe Seno there talking to John earlier about the A424. And at the same, it's beautiful. At the same time... Uh, and uh, just to prove that we are live, it's uh, finished 1-1 and they're heading to extra time. Is it? Yes. Right. Uh, uh, Alpine programme, we, we got two... Listen, it was beautifully organised. Thank you to Jim and to Kate and to everybody else and India at the team. It's beautifully organised. We got so much content from that, we couldn't actually fit it into, in the, into the show and give it its due tonight. So we've got a special programme tonight, tomorrow night at 9 o'clock um, that that whole launch, and all seven of the drivers, not six, bit of a surprise there, um, and you know that's Gilles Gounon, because we mentioned that earlier on, uh, all seven drivers from both of the cars, plus a longer version of that interview with Philippe, um, that's tomorrow at nine o'clock here on RS1. Uh, it was a Formula One launch as well, though. Yes, because the A524 was uh, yes. launched alongside it. Uh, Nick Damon's our Formula One correspondent. It's fair to say, Nick, that last year Alpine uh, was a team in a state of flux. Uh, that's an understatement. Um, they, uh, they've been running for ever since they came back as Renault and then changed the name to Alpine. They've been running this nebulous hundred race program to win win the win the thing, mm-hmm. win the lot. And it keeps getting put back and not defined where the hundred races is. And they keep firing people and changing uh, managing directors and um team principals. And obviously they'd lost the interfering uh, from the, the Renault side and they lost that Otmar Schaff and Alan Permain 
um, and some others, and uh, the whole thing's been a complete farce. So I think I did ask you to ask the question, John, why are you bothering? Did you get a chance to answer, ask that? Um, uh, I felt that probably wasn't the thing to do. Yes, in uh, but Bruno Famin is uh, in charge at the moment, and we did ask him something along those lines, but slightly more tactfully. The key assessment of the 2023 season were uh, quite... Um, 2023 was quite turbulent, a turbulent year. Uh, we made some changes um, from the summer, uh, and especially on the track, uh, on trackside team, and um, we have seen quite quickly some uh, quite good improvement. And now the challenge is to bring that dynamic to the whole team uh, in Enston and in Larry. John, the, the the car is front to back. Ahead of brand new. the 2024 campaign, where oh. uh, um, I had enough of him. Sorry. Okay. Um, the the, the, <laughs> the car is front to back brand new. Uh, the tech director walked us around the car. Um, the front wing is a bit more aggressive. They've got new braking ducts and the way that they're managing the air into the brakes um, and also managing the air through the car. Um, is far more aggressive than it was last year. They felt they were a little conservative with that. The other thing that they've done is they've moved the battery pack, the ERS unit, further back in the chassis to help with the balance. And and they're going to work with that um, because all F1 cars are under... uh, Well, they try to get them underweight and and then move ballast around in the car. Um, And they're going to try and work, Nick, with... um, some distinctively different rear wings, which they didn't do last year. The, the new rear wings are going to be far more circuit-specific. Um, t- and that, they feel, will, will help. They felt that was something they didn't exploit last year. And there's a lot of new work around the edges and underneath. I was the one that was looking underneath and sticking my phone underneath and getting looked at strangely as I was shining a light under the floor and crawling around. Yeah, the thing is, I mentioned they come and, and highlight this wing situation because that's um, most teams have been fiddling with wings on a race by race basis. Mm. The limiting factor is just being cost. Um, so yeah, you, you, it costs money, and it's been cost cap for even even Mercedes. I, think, I can't remember this season last and didn't have their super low down force out for a couple of races. I know McLaren also, and it's um, one of the areas where you know they used to throw thirty wings at it because they could. Now they have to be a bit more careful. Yes, um, I think. But does that not change, Nick? Because the point is that they've done the most of... I mean, okay, this is a new car for them. New bodywork, new chassis. Um, But Matt Harmon, uh, you know, was was making the point that they wanted to do that. Does that mean that they haven't had to spend so much on the concept of the car so that they can then use some of that cost cap to to go into the details, to give themselves those circuit-specific rear wings? Well, the thing is, it's a completely stable set of regulations this year. Yeah. I don't believe there's it. I don't think there's any, certainly nothing major. It might be a couple of minor bits and bobs that are different. But obviously, everyone wants to redesign their cars um, to cut, try and catch up with Red Bull and, and, and carry the learning. So, but of course, um, you know, there is a, a point where you do gain. You can sort of like design the car in one go, and you haven't got to put too much contingency in for redesigns because you've got a better idea of, what, of where you're going to be. Mm. And there are some things that won't cost some money, and you know, so you kind of you, you lose some of the wasted despite despite building a completely new car. Yeah. Um, it's really about it's, it's it's about you know where you put your resources, and you know it's it's also about how you manage the cost cap. 
you know, the fact is that every single team was under the cost cap last year. It's possible that some of them were, were too much under it. They didn't yeah. actually spend enough money. Yes, good um, point. And they've always identified that this is a an area where they believe the return on investment is, is worth is worth it. Um, talk about weight. Um, yeah, the, the, every car is trying to get as light as possible, which is why mm. I think the previous four cars of this are all mostly carbon fibre with some stickers on it. Um, <laughs> just trying to save weight. Well, there was two liveries, uh, two liveries launched today. One in front of us, and one back in the factory in Enston, just over our le- right, well, left shoulders. Um, and the main one that was launched was the blue car, and they launched on video the pink BWT car as well. But there's a lot of carbon fibre on these cars. Um, Bruno Fama um, and Matt Harper um, and indeed Philip Creef as well, who's the CEO at Alpine, um, they all talked about introspection, about basically we looked at ourselves after last year. So I think your comments about where they were in terms of their headspace, I think that was really... They knew that as well, and they've they've tried to get into that a little bit more this year, and or oh, back into last year, I suppose, and try to to get a little bit more stability. It did come across to me, and okay, it's a presentation, and um, it was very slick. Uh, it was Rachel Brooks from Sky Sport who who did it. Um, very very slick with a really big auto cue on the back wall, which is a great idea that I'm going to steal. Um, they um, they launched both cars together. It was really slick. I do get the feeling that they are trying to be more more joined up and have a more holistic um, view of the world and of themselves, both at Enstone and VC as well. And and clearly that was what was lacking last year, Nick. Well, they've got the thing they need to do is they need to take the politics and the meddling out. Yeah. If if Renault are prepared to invest in the in the team and then invest in the team and let the team try and do it, something they haven't been very good at doing for a while. They just don't seem to be, I'm not, not necessarily with Renault, just with Laurent Rossi or other people involved. Certainly, Cyril Abitable had issues um, both up and down the chain. Um, yeah, they've been they've been a, a, they have been a management morass. They've made some horrendous errors, and I think they you know they, they suffer not quite so badly as Williams, but certainly mm. you know as badly as McLaren did from having outdated equipment. And also, Bruno Faman admitted that his job as VP of Alpine Motorsports and team principal and doing some technical stuff was was really stretching him too much. So they've appointed. Um, New jobs, both at Enstone and at uh, very uh, um to ease that load, so he can concentrate in the in the F one side of things at least on being team principal. Uh, that hasn't been. It was great, and th- thanks again to Alpine UK for that one to go over there. Thoroughly enjoyed the drive over as well. I'd forgotten how good the roads are over there. Tim, that's not been the only F one. It, it's not, and uh, don't think Bruno Hammers is all we're going to hear from the F one side of that because uh, we'll have. Uh, some drivers uh, when we do our Formula 1 preview uh, later this month. Uh, Strike launched yesterday. Uh, we weren't invited to that one, uh, but the car, car is black and green, Nick. It works. It was, on the, it was on the computer, so you just had to log on. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't allowed to go. Yeah, it's carbon, fi- it's carbon fibre and green. Hey, so I was two rows. I, I was on the second row of that F1 lunch. I'll have you know it'll today. Be, um, it'll be, at least it's, they're chosen, obviously carbon fibre's been chosen by everybody, but their, their highlight colour, which is green, is at least different from everyone else at the moment. It's so called fluo green. 
flora green. green. Mm. Yeah, it's just it's like if in doubt, it's like it's like the kind of the thing. Yeah, you know, when you got the famous uh, uh, RC bodies painted by the Spanish painter Juan Can, uh, you just spray a, a, a you know a, a bit of um, flora on it. I don't and believe you just said that. That's one of the, that is one of the, the that is one of the standing gags in RC. That is when you have a single color a, a mm, color a single one color Juan Can. Because there's some very expensive paintings. There's multiple 900 color overlays, and you have got some bloke who just turns up with a floral yellow by by the Spanish painter one can. Absolutely. There's a few um, places you see a few guys used to use bright orange. As you're well, going off on a tangent. Yeah, we need to stick stick to Formula One, please, uh, because not, the other team. Yeah, the other team that's uh, launched is Williams. They launched on Friday. Oh, Fiber and blue. Uh, and uh, we asked James Vowles, uh, who's about to celebrate his one-year anniversary in charge of Williams, uh, whether he thought uh, the team was heading in the right direction. 2023 was our best season since 2017, and I had the fortune to be here as a part of the organisation once we're on that journey together. And it sets the foundation, just the foundation, for what we want to do going forward. What it shows the world is that we're not a team that's last anymore. We're a team that's on the journey back to the front. And we made a large step when we put that update on last year. That journey continues now. And what we need to demonstrate to the world is we're a serious contender that it's not one moment that we've moved forward, but we're on the right path back to the front of the grid. James Vowles at Williams. And again, more from him in our uh, F1 preview uh, at the end of the month. He said they're moving forward. They, they're, they're not the team that everyone should consider to be at the back of the grid anymore. They're moving forward. Okay. What, he, what he basically said was, in a very earnest way, almost like it's a past political broadcast, uh, that quite fantastically there are other teams who are worse than us last year. It was brilliant. I was just expecting to say, we at Williams supporting the hard-working families of Britain. That was that was that was literally what I was expecting. To I, I I I remember talking to to my friend Fred Vasseur. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Uh, who else has launched? Tim, was that it? Uh, that's no, all the uh, all the launches. Yes. No, Hass launches. No, Hass launches our last program. I have that. I thought that was before our last program. No, no, it was afterwards. They they they, they got. Unfortunately, they were they were after Andretti and. Hamilton, so they got um, no economy <laughs> whatsoever. So there was a tsunami no of other stuff. Now, yeah, that's red and white and carbon. Um, right. <laughs> okay, reasonable. Mm. Uh, okay, quiz question. Ooh. What Ooh, do the following drivers have in common? They're all drivers. All right. Kurt Busch. Yeah. Yes. John Andretti. Yeah. Tony yeah. Stewart. NASCAR driver. And Robbie yeah. Gordon. I think you find they're NASCAR all NASCAR drivers. drivers. Yeah, is that not what's and on the card? That's not what's on the card. Have they all, ba- have they all won the Baja? No. Oh, Tony Stewart has. And uh, possibly Robbie have Gordon. They won something really exciting in dirt overall? No. Clash? Uh, no. Um, um, have they all failed to qualify at Indy? No. Ooh, that's but you're close. All failed to qualify at the Daytona 500? No. Think I'll about when Indy cold. happens. Oh, Coca-Cola 600. They have done all the done 
the uh, Indy 500 Coca-Cola 600 double. John Andretti yeah. did it first in uh, 1994, though he didn't finish. Uh, yeah, would have got that. Tony Stewart, the only one to have done all 1,100 miles mm. uh, in one day. Uh, Robbie Gordon's tried five times and not done it. Uh, and this year we Nick have Dimmon someone else. 1,100 miles in a day. All the way to Portugal. Uh, Austria. This year we have someone else trying it. Kyle Larson mm. is uh, with Hendrick uh, going to try to do the Indy 500 and Coca-Cola 600. Uh, he was out testing at Phoenix on Monday uh, and uh, had a little chat with uh, members of the assembled media. And uh, because those members of the assen- assembled media are all American, they naturally asked him who was going to win the Super Bowl. My family, both you know, my side and Caitlin's side, are, are huge Niner fans. So um, I'll admit that I'm, I'm a little bit on the bandwagon uh, since they've been you know, really good here the last you know, handful of years. But uh, it's going to be a tough game. I mean, Mahomes is, uh, is so good. So I'd like to see the Niners do good. Love to see the Kings in the playoffs last year. Hopefully they can make another run this year and um, you make, make the home state proud. John? Can I, can I just mention, by the way, that Travis Kelsey owns part of um, Alpe? Yes, he does. The Formula One team. Yes. Um, Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift fans, if, you know, just get behind it. Uh, get in there. That'd be good. Uh, congratulations to Ellie Filipponi who got the uh, Indy Daytona double. It's just dropped in, but I suspect that that was sent long before we actually said it. Yes. Um, on, at... Um, Aspect your team, and so uh, well done. Uh, we Last did, five minutes. We did get uh, Carl Larson to actually talk about doing the double uh, at uh, Indy and uh, Charlotte, and uh, about how relevant uh, testing at Phoenix in February uh, actually was to that. I think it was good for me to go to Phoenix, um, <clears throat> and you know, as you mentioned, it's a totally different racetrack and all that. The banking, though, in, in IndyCar three and four is not too different. I don't feel like than than Indy, but like I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I had a, a few moments where I was uncomfortable, and and I thought you know, that was that was good to feel you know at 190 or whatever we're going 180 maybe in the corner compared to going you know 220 at Indy and, and having a moment and, and being surprised by something. So I think I think that was a benefit. I think just getting more reps of pulling in and out of the box, um, you know, messing with the weight jacker and bar and all that, you know, I didn't really mess with any of that um, during my rookie orientation just because the balance was so good and I didn't really feel like I I needed to do anything. But yesterday my balance was kind of transitioning quickly. So kind of had to try and keep up with that a little bit. So um, I'm not used to having cockpit adjusters and, um, yeah, that's that's what you have to do a lot of in in, in an indie car. So, yeah, it was just good to kind of do all that stuff and uh, you know, log some notes in my brain and um, you know, hopefully just make the transition when I get to Indy um, smoother and quicker and and we can you know, really just get to working on the important stuff um, you know, with the car and things like that once we get to the month of May. My balance can transition quickly, given the circumstance, given certain circumstances. I know what he's talking about. Yes, good good luck to uh, him. Uh, in May, we'll have an IndyCar 
preview uh, sometime in the next few weeks as well. Just need to find somewhere to fit that into the schedule. That's uh, ridiculous, isn't it? Yes, finally, very quickly, uh, 99 Racing won the latest round of the Asian Le Mans series in Dubai at the weekend with uh, Amadal Hati, Nikita Mazapan and Louis de la Traz. Uh, LMP3 was won by the number 17 call racing Ligier of James Winslow and Alex Bukantsov. And uh, in GT, uh, it was uh, Porsche and the 91 Pure Racing car with Klaus Backler, Joel Sturm and Alex Malikin. Uh, so well done to all of those. There's one race left in that champ. There's two races two. left in that uh, championship. <laughs> one race weekend left in that championship. There you a go, double Tim. header there you go. at uh, the Yas Marina circuit uh, this weekend. And we'll tell you uh, about who wins rounds four and five of the Asian Le Mans series on next week's programme, which comes live from Bathurst. I'm looking for that as part of our... Ned's Australian Whiskey early coverage of the 2024 Repsol Bathurst 12 hours. Krilzy, myself, Cher are all doing the early shifts and then it's uh, TV on Saturday and Sunday. The, the usual score with our fantastic TV colleagues uh, at Australian Television, uh, w- they'll be producing the uh, international feed uh, which for all of you outside of Australia, obviously, you can watch ad-free. And that's, that'll be available on Saturday and Sunday. It's the only time I don't mind getting to work at 5 o'clock in the morning. And normally, 5 o'clock is... There's only one 5 o'clock in the day, and normally I'm expecting someone to bring me some kind of cocktail by that time. Um, but for Bathurst, I don't mind... <laughs> Mind the second one. We'll have a full rundown of the field with Krilzy uh, on the short next week. Uh, actually, no, we're gonna. Krilzy's already said it now. We're gonna do our, we're gonna do our uh, pit walk. We're gonna revive the full pit walk. So we'll do that, and we'll have some content from the cars down in the centre of Bathurst as well. Really looking forward to it, and it's a stacked field as you heard. Matty Campbell and Gilles Gunon uh, talking about earlier. On and that, Tim, I think is just about it because we've got Paul and the team coming up for HRN, so we can't Indeed. run over tonight. We can't run over, they are next. They'll be uh, on 30 seconds after us, uh, after you've had a reminder of what's on tomorrow at eight. That's a sim cast, uh, but uh, it's and goodbye from me. Program. Uh, goodbye from uh, are you back on track tomorrow, Tim? Uh, Nick, sorry, no, it's tomorrow and, and Friday. Oh, wow, okay, oh, cool. Three days. Have you got more tyres? Yes, I've got a whole brand new set sitting in the back of the garage. Right, excellent stuff. Uh, Nick Damon joining us from Cartagena tonight. Uh, Thank you very much for all of you tuning in. It's been a cracker and absolutely brimful. Join us next week when we'll be broadcasting from the future to those of you in Europe because we'll be on Thursday morning. I've got a feeling there'll be lots between now and then going on. It's the start of the build-up to 2024's Repsol Bathurst 20, uh, Bathurst 12 hours. I was going to say 24 hours there. Bathurst 12 hours uh, with Krilzy, me and the rest of the team in our Ned's Australian Whiskey early week coverage. But there's no time to explain right now because HRN are ready to go and the llama is making friends with kangaroos. 
This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.